In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. May His blessings and mercy dwell upon us from now and forevermore. Amen. Good evening, all. I thought it might be good to uh, just recap quickly the last few weeks that we've been doing, so that way people know how the series is actually um, going uh, ahead. Um, if you remember, those of you who have been attending for the last three weeks, um, we spoken in the first week about the discipline of the mind. And with regards to the discipline of the mind, we concentrated on two aspects. We spoke about how to protect the mind from harmful and unprofitable knowledge. And we also said it's important that we plant in the mind spiritual knowledge. That was the first session that we had, the discipline of the mind. And in the week after that, which was week two, we talked about the discipline of the will. And we said that um, the, goal, the goal of Christian perfection was to bring our sensual will to be under the captivity of the higher will, that is the will of God. And we spoke about how we should resist Satan. Remember we used that analogy that he's like a, a nagging salesperson who always comes to you to sell his product. And we resist him through prayer, um, and in prayer we acknowledge our weaknesses. And to also to hate sin um, by remembering Judgment Day, and to seek the intercession of the saints. So that was week two, the discipline of the will. Last week we spoke about the discipline of the senses. And remember we spoke about Theophan, or Theophan, the recluse, who likened man to a king or a soul who lives in a castle, which is a body, and we said that the castle has five windows, which are the five senses, and a door, that is the mind, and that the enemy cannot enter into the castle except through the windows or the door, and if these are closely shut, then the enemy cannot enter into the castle. And now we go to a, another step or another level, and tonight, God willing, we will talk about the discipline of the memory and imagination. The memory and imagination. What do I mean by that? Well, God actually endowed us with the ability to store information in our memory and to retrieve this information whenever we want, at will. And God gave us a memory in order to remember his own commandments. This is why we are told in the book of Numbers, when it says to us, remember all the commands of the Lord that you may obey them, then you will remember to obey all my commands and will be consecrated to your God. So God has given us this ability to memorize things in order to observe his commands. And through memory, the disciples actually remembered the words of the Lord Jesus Christ himself when he was with them here on earth. And they actually later wrote all these for us in the Gospels and in the Epistles. Actually, the Gospels were recorded in the memory of these believers um, as an oral tradition much more earlier than the written tradition. And that's how we received Scripture. So it's from the memory of what these apostles had of the Lord and what he taught. But also another reason why we are given a memory is to remember all the good things that the Lord has done for us. And in this we are reminded by Moses when he said to the people, he said, commemorate this day 
the day that you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. If I turn this off, can you hear me without it? Is that better? Or is it's not loud enough? It's okay? I think we need to turn it off at the wall. Mylish fed you if I could just probably just turn turn off the actual PowerPoints. Um, let me come a bit closer. Because I feel that that screeching was actually bothering um, bothering everyone. So. So that's another reason why we have the memory and why we are given this memory by the Lord. Imagination, on the other hand, is something different. Imagination actually wasn't a gift from God. Theophan the recluse tells us that actually the rational creatures, uh, as in angels and humans, were created by God without an, ima- without an imagination. They were created without an imagination. But Satan's fall from grace started when he developed an imagination and he imagined that he would be equal to God or better than God. Remember, he wanted to elevate his throne above that of God. He wanted to equal himself to God. So Satan was the one who introduced imagination into the minds of Adam and Eve. And we see this when he told them that if they eat from the forbidden fruit, they would become like God. He put into their minds Imagine you can be like God. So that's how imagination actually started to enter into Adam and Eve. And Satan can actually use both imagination and memory to tempt us. To tempt us to sin or to tempt us to do wrong. So any object that we perceive by our senses leaves an impression in our memory that can be recalled for good and bad. And we all know this, that we can recall things that we've seen or heard or touched and so forth. And these things can be good things and sometimes can be bad things. Sins of the memory and imagination are actually more dangerous than sins of the senses because of a number of reasons. The sins of the senses are brought to us by encountering an object that stimulates that particular sense. You know, you've seen someone or you've touched something or you heard a sound or smelled something, you know, and that sort of stays with your senses. And also, um, they're more dangerous than the sins of the senses because it also means that the sins of the senses are brought to us by external objects. It's things that, you know, that the senses come into contact with. Whereas on the other hand, through memory you can instantly call these same sensations by imagination and even worse, and take them even to a different level. So what I'm saying is that sometimes senses can go to sleep. They can take rest. But sins of the memory and imagination can attack us even while we sleep, through dreams, for example. You know, what you think about during the day can manifest itself into dreams during, during the night. So let us then have a bit more of a closer look at what the sins, the sins of memory are. And just as a general thing, um, always remember what we pray in the liturgy. Remember when we pray in the liturgy and we say um, to cleanse us from the remembrance of evil entailing death. This is what we're actually praying for here. 
We're praying so that way God will actually heal us from sins of the memory. Because remembrance of evil means that I can remember either uh, an evil that I did in my earlier days or in the past, or some evil that's done by another person towards me. And these things we pray and say to forgive us from the remembrance of evil entailing death. Amongst the sins of memory is sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. The memory of sins committed in the past can come back to haunt me even after I've actually stopped doing them. So how then can I treat this? Well, some of the great saints of the desert also suffered from this for many, many long years. But they were persistent in that they still kept fighting these thoughts till they actually found victory over them. For example, we hear about St. Moses the Strong or St. Moses the Black who was tormented by these thoughts uh, about his past evils for a very, very long time. We hear about another saint who goes by the name of Mother Sarah, who was a contemporary to St. Macarius the Great, that she fought against these thoughts for 14 years. 14 years fighting against the thoughts of sexual immorality before the Lord granted her freedom from these assaults. And you and I know that sexual uh, or sexually immoral images or pictures or movies that you might have seen on purpose or by accident on TV or on the net, they are actually imprinted into our memory and they can usually come back to haunt us and to offend us in a very violent way. That's why it's important for us to make sure that we don't allow anything to enter into the memory on purpose or by chance, so that way we don't have to suffer the consequences later on. So the sins of memory, the first one is sexual immorality. But persistence will give the victory over this sin. Also, amongst the uh, sins of memory is the sin of anger. The sin of anger. Imagine that if I've had an argument or a fight with someone, and even if we have reconciled, you know, I still can remember what happened in the past, and that can excite in me thoughts of anger again and revenge um, that can be quite distressing, and it can hinder my spiritual perfection. And the devil can actually make things look and sound much worse than they really are or were. Let me take an example with you. For example, married couples can end up living in a lot of difficulty because of this issue. For example, if they have a little argument in the morning before going out to work, the devil will take this little argument and work with both of their memories throughout the whole day with it. So while at work, the devil might cause the incident to be recalled in both their minds uh, of the couple. And passionate feelings start to, uh, to become angry with indignation and, you know, um, the mind starts to wander. And the little argument that was in the morning can become a huge fight when they come home at the end of the day. And actually, that's how a lot of our problems in our homes start, because of these little arguments or these little, uh, you know, disagreements, if we let them linger on. And some people even remember things that are deep in their memory that can be lasting for tens of years. 
how many times have you heard people, for example, say, um, you know, that the wife might remind the husband of something that he did 10 years ago or something that he didn't do 10 years ago? Or maybe the husband might remind the wife and he might say to her, you know, he might remind her of something her mother said 10 or 15 years ago. You know, when you think about it, actually, we can laugh at it, but sometimes these issues can actually flare up and become huge issues. I've had people in my years where I've been working on the clerical council that people say, yes, but you said such and such on our on our honeymoon. And they've been married for 20 years. How can anyone remember 20 years ago what they said specifically is beyond my belief? How beautiful would it be if you and I were free from the sin of anger? Listen to what St. John Climacus says. He says, The beginning of freedom from anger is silence of the lips when the heart is agitated. The middle road is silence of the thoughts when there is a mere disturbance of soul. And the end is a serene calm under the breath of unclean winds. So this is at the stages. Silence of lips, silence of thoughts, and then the result is a serene calm. And that's actually the best practice in order to get rid of anger. Try to be silent with your lips and then with your thoughts and see what serene calm will come your way, even though there might be a lot of turbulence around you, but there will be a serene calm. So another sin of the sins of memory is anger. Another sin from the sins of memory is judging. You might have, for example, witnessed or heard something done by another person, um, and you immediately judge uh, that person for what they have done. You might have repented actually and confessed about judging that person, but the matter might not be closed or finished uh, at this stage. Because every time you see that person, what happens is that your memory starts to play havoc with you and you start to judge that person once again in your mind. And it's quite possible even that that person that has done wrong, they might have repented and confessed about this as well, about what they've done. They might have even forgotten what they have done, which is which is actually a part of our confession. Because you know, once we have confessed and repented about something, we should try to forget about this issue. And just on a little side note, don't ever underestimate God's forgiveness to you in repentance. And you also need to forgive yourself when God has forgiven you through your repentance. Sometimes I feel that God grants us the forgiveness, but we are the ones that don't forgive ourselves. And we're almost stuck in this in this um, position where God wants to forgive and has forgiven, but we are not uh, we're still holding on. So even if the other person has forgotten about what they've done towards you, yet you keep falling into the sin of judgment about him or her about what they've done because of the remembrance of this evil. So we need to be very careful about this sin of judgment, particularly of others. Again, St. John Climacus says something very nice. He says, fire and water do not mix. Neither can you mix judgment of others with the desire to repent. Fire and water do not mix. Neither can you mix judgment of others with the desire to repent. 
one more sin of the memory, and that is the sin of vainglory. Sometimes we might do something that might seem um, that we've done good, seems good to us. For example, I might have helped to reconcile two people together, and then later on I keep recalling about what wise words I've used for them, um, what I've said to them, and I start to bask in this glory, telling myself how great a job I've done with these two people. Or another example might be a Sunday school teacher who has been given a certain grace in giving a lesson to his or her class. And by the way, grace is given to the person who speaks for the sake of those who are listening, not because of the excellence of the teacher. But the person who's given that great talk might recall about the wise words that they've used, how eloquent they were in their words, and then their heart starts to become filled with self-gratification as if the words were coming from the self and not from God himself. But if we compare this with Scripture, we find that it's actually far from how we should be thinking. Our fathers, the apostles and the disciples, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. It was the Holy Spirit himself who gave them utterance. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives words to preach. It's not the servant. It's not the minister. It's not the priest. It's not whoever is actually teaching. It's the words of the Holy Spirit that are given to that person because God imparts grace to the listeners. And I'm always amazed when I look at the example of St. Paul, who would humbly and prayfully say, and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. So he's asking for, um, for utterance to be given to him when he opens his mouth. It's not his own words. It's the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, the words of the Holy Spirit. So be careful of vainglory. St. John Chrysostom says, if you want to be glorified, despise glory. If you want to be glorified, despise glory. Because vainglory will actually lead to a whole lot of problems. Let me share with you how we can actually exercise ourselves to fight against this temptation. And, and forgive me about the analogy. The analogy is from Scripture. It's a difficult analogy, but I take it upon myself more so than anything else. As soon as these memories, that is the memory of doing good, doing a great sermon or doing a great topic or a great lesson or a great um, sermon to anyone, starts to come into your mind, remember that the Lord used a donkey to rebuke the prophet Balaam. It's a difficult analogy, difficult analogy. But remember, the Lord used a donkey to rebuke the prophet Balaam. And you can read this in detail in the book of Numbers in chapter 22. So tell yourself, I tell myself, I have no more right to glory in my words than, than the donkey Balaam did. Was the donkey proud of what he actually did? He did what he was directed to do, passed the message on to the prophet Balaam, and that's it. So I should not, I don't have a right to glory in my words more than the donkey of Balaam. So these are the sins of memory. 
Let's have a look now at the sins of imagination, which actually can be worse. Again, one of those sins of the imagination can be sexual immorality, which we spoke about as a sin uh, of memory as well. And I'll give you an example of this. Suppose that I work with a person of the opposite sex that I like or that I fancy. The person might be decent in the way they deal with me. They might, he or she might not flirt with me or, or deal with me. Or deal with me in an inappropriate way. But yet, in my own bad imagination, I can commit a whole spectrum of wrong things sexually in my mind with them. I think of them in a rude way. I think of them, them in a sexual, uh, sexually, uh, you know, um, explicit way, and so forth. That person might be even modest in the way they dress, but in my imagination, I might parade them in certain ways that are totally despicable and totally unacceptable. And that's why it's important for us that to be careful that we never think of this way. I actually think that a lot of times sexual harassment, particularly in the workplace, happens because people's imaginations are not under control. And then the imagination builds up and starts to keep attacking that person until that person actually reacts to the imagination that they've been living for. Or we might even dwell on the on the sexual, um, you know, fantasies that other people might might be going through. For example, you know, how how many times, particularly in some of you know communities like our community, that if I see a young man and a young uh, woman talking together, then there must be something going on between them, you know. And it's it's almost as if we've become um, programmed to think in this way. It's sad. Or if I see, for example, example, an older gentleman with a younger woman, I might think to say, well, I wonder what's going on here. Whereas for all I know, she might be his daughter. You know? So it's, it's, um, it's, it's a dangerous thing to allow the imagination to run wild, particularly when it comes to sexual matters. Again, one of the sins of imagination is anger. For example, if I have a boss at work who might be putting me down or I have a, a person who's bullying me at school or bothering me in any way, you know, um, and I can't do anything about it in reality, you know, and I, I want to take revenge but I can't, so I take revenge on that person in my own imagination. I imagine to myself that I'm verbally abusing this person and even beating them into a pulp or even thinking that of a vicious accident that might happen to that person. You know, I, I wish there would be in a car accident or hit a tree or fall out of a tall building or wherever it might be that I'm trying to um, take out my anger on them in my imagination. But what I don't realize is that I'm actually committing murder in my own imagination. I'm committing murder in my own, imagin in my own imagination. Compare this with what St. John the Beloved says in his first epistle, chapter 3. I'll read for you three verses. Verses 10, 14, and 15 from his first epistle, chapter 3. He says, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest, 
Whoever does not practice righteousness is not from God, nor is he who does not love his brother. Verse 14, he says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. And in verse 15, he says, Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. World of a difference. World of a difference. We must love, not hate others. John Climacus says, He who loves the Lord has first loved his brother because the second is proof of the first. Without me loving my brother, even in my own imagination, I cannot profess to say that I love God because my love for my fellow brother or others is a proof of my love to God. So if that does not exist, then my love for God does not exist. So that was the sin of uh, anger in my imagination. Preferably towards the end, because, yeah, but just don't forget it. So jot it down, okay? Just in case the answer's coming up somewhere. Amongst also the sins of imagination is judging. If I disapprove of what someone else is doing, uh, whether it's right or wrong, uh, we sometimes imagine ourselves maybe giving that person a good lesson or a good sermon, so that way, you know, um, um, you know, I'm judging that person. And I can uh, almost imagine in my own mind what words I can use to deliver to that person to make them know that what they think is wrong or what they teach is wrong. And I can even be ready and equipped with verses from the Bible Um, how to show this person that God will judge them for what they're doing. And this is quite a dangerous thing. I'm judging them in my own imagination. And by the way, this is actually sometimes uh, could be um, a weapon used by Satan when we even do our own spiritual practices. As an example, whenever I'm reading scripture, how many times have we been fought and say, yes, I can use this first to actually reply to that person who comes and says to me this or that. It's, it's a weapon that's used by Satan. And rather than taking scripture for my own benefit, for my own building, I'm taking scripture to be able to answer others with. And I end up, you know, um, into more judgment. But when I do this, I don't actually realize that I'm committing the grave sin of judging others in my own imagination. And that God's judgment against me, against me personally for doing that, will probably far exceed God's judgment of that person for what they have done. So again, all this is in my imagination. And these thoughts then can become um, thoughts of arrogancy or presumptuous sins that I indulge in you know, teaching that person a lesson in my own imagination through my own words. So that's another sin of imagination, the sin of judgment. Also the sin of vainglory is also a sin of the imagination as well. The devil sometimes can excite my, in my own imagination visions about self-righteousness. I'm better than others. I can indulge in imagining myself as a famous person who can save so many thousands of souls. 
because of the words of wisdom that I have or the righteous life that I have. Or I can even imagine myself as a monk or a nun exceeding all the others in the ascetic worship or the way they love God or the way they deal with God and so forth. I love the priest who actually wrote the book that we're basing this series on, Practical Spirituality, that he himself says that when he was 12 years old, he often had fantasies of being a martyr and that he would endure all these horrible tortures more so than many other saints because this was what was going on in his own imagination. He says, I reveled in my imaginary steadfastness in face of all the diabolic tortures that were inflicted upon my holy and righteous self. But how do we compare then when we compare this, say, with the fathers of the desert? When a monk asked Abba Anthony the Great, what must I do to be saved? The elder answered him and said, do not trust in your own righteousness. Do not worry about what has passed and constrain your tongue and your stomach. That's what gives salvation. But the first part is, he said to him, do not trust in your own righteousness. Who am I? What is my righteousness compared to the righteousness of the Lord, or the righteousness of the saints? And whenever we are fought with this righteousness or that we've done something that's worthwhile, Pope Shenouda of Blessed Memory, he used to say, remind yourselves of two things. Remind yourselves of your sins, because that quickly brings a person back to the level of humility. And he says, compare yourself with the saints. So if I think I've, uh, I've you know, achieved something that's worthwhile, and then I compare myself with, say, St. Anthony or St. Paul or St. Mary or one of these beautiful fathers, what have I actually accomplished as compared to these great saints? So another sin of the imagination is the sin of vainglory. Also amongst the sins of imagination is the sin of daydreaming. And by the way, no one can be free from daydreaming. That's impossible. But to indulge in excessive daydreaming is actually a sin that we need to confess about. And you know, really the reality of the matter is that daydreaming is useless. It's a waste of time. You know, we waste valuable time that can be spent in many other things, whether it be prayer or study or reading the Bible or family matters or many other things. How many times as a student we would go to our desk to sit down and study and we would be in the motion of opening our books and sharpening the pencil and getting everything set up and ready to immediately go into the bittersweet fantasies of something else. And we daydream, we drift. And one very real danger is that these daydreams can often start as innocent fantasies, but can also end up being horrible, uh, immoral fantasies. And, And there are many examples. For example, how many people fantasize about their wedding and the the day that it's going to be, and you know, and all that can lead into into even other sexual fantasies later on. It's scary when you think about it that daydreaming can start off innocently and it can be changed into something that could be quite detrimental. Also amongst the sins of imagination is the love of the world. And St. James just outright in his um, epistle, chapter 4, verse 4, tells us very 
clearly that a person who loves the world is an enemy of God. He just says this outright. If a person loves the world, then they are an enemy of, of God. And in spite of this, we often indulge in this sin by imagining ourselves to be living in great palaces or to be wearing the latest uh, you know, uh, designer clothes or driving one of those dream cars and so on and so on and so on. Can you imagine, can you imagine that cars are so big on the minds of our preteen children? They can talk about it for hours. They can tell you the minute details about a car that you would get so bored that you just want to just say to them, please stop, this is nonsense. They can talk about it for hours. They paste the, paste the pictures of, uh, of these cars on their walls in their bedrooms. They dream about them day and night. But we need to be careful about these things of the world. We need to be careful about these things of the world. St. Isaac, this hearing, he says something very nice. He says, Close your eyes to the precious things of the world that you may deserve to have the peace of God reign in your heart. It's only when I don't look at these things of the world that I'll start to feel the presence of God in my heart. And this temptation, by the way, was one of the three temptations, if you remember, that the devil actually used against our Lord Jesus Christ. When he took the Lord Jesus Christ to the high mountain and he showed him all um, the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he told him, he said, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. This is Satan talking to the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, the Lord rebuked Satan and the devil will keep on trying this same trick time after time, even with us. He'll show you worldly things and he'll promise you these worldly things only if you uh, fall down and worship him. Yes, it's true, he might give you these things, but he will take so much more in, uh, you know, in compensation. He will take your spirituality, he will take your peacefulness of heart, he will take your calmness of mind, he will take so many things because he has given you very little. So every time we indulge in these fantasies, we are actually consenting to Satan and submitting to Satan. So that's another sin of the imagination, and that is the love of the world. The last sin of the imagination that I'd like to cover with you is even about fantasizing about food. Fantasizing about food. And this is especially dangerous when we are fasting. Especially dangerous when we are fasting. Imagine two weeks before Lent when I should be on my spiritual high level and I'm preparing for Holy Week. I'm probably thinking about the feast that will happen after Midnight Mass happens to all of us. The sumptuous dinner that will be held after the midnight liturgy. Or on Sunday morning in the liturgy when the aroma of the food overrides the aroma of incense within the church. And the food and, and the aroma that is emitted or the food that emits this aroma becomes my contemplation. Sorry, I mean my fantasy. It becomes my obsession. So I'm in the presence of the Lord in the community of the faithful, and yet my mind is wandering about something else. And you can almost feel the food in your mouth because you are so much dwelling on it to the extent that the smell is in your nostrils and your mouth starts to water about what you are smelling and what you are thinking of. And even when you are not fasting and you suddenly start to imagine to yourself you know, that you've got this 
juicy, mouth-watering hamburger or, or this amazing ice cream or whatever it is that makes your mouth water. And then we start to you know, daydream about this and end up you know, fantasizing about this food. I wonder whether this is actually gluttony in my imagination. And gluttony is a sin, even if it's in my imagination. This happened with the people in the Old Testament, by the way. In the Old Testament, this sin assaulted the Israelites after they left the land of Egypt. Moses told them, he, uh, that, sorry, they told Moses, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost, also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna, the manna that used to come down from heaven. And God wanted to satisfy these people. So God sent these people quails, but he also punishment, punished them severely for their gluttony. And the book of Numbers tells us that while the meat was still between their teeth, that is the meat of the quails, was still between their teeth, and before it could be consumed, the anger of the Lord burnt against the people, and he struck them with a severe plague. Moderation is the key word. If I allow myself to fantasize about food, then this is gluttony of the imagination, and it's a sin that needs to be confessed and repented from. So what's the treatment then for all these sins? What's the treatment? The first step is that I need to recognize that these are what they are. They are sins. And that there are, they are not harmless thoughts or just fantasies. A little thought now can end up being into a fantasy that I could not get rid of or actually leave ever again. And as such, I ought then to mention them in my repentance and in my confession. And just like any other sin that I'm fighting against, I need to pray about this so that God will give me grace to be able to overcome these. So pray and remind yourself of what Cyprian of Carthage said. He said, if he who is without sin prayed, how much more ought sinners pray? If the Lord himself who is sinless prayed, how much more I as a sinner need to pray? And whether it be sins of memory or imagination, remember the saying of St. Augustine who says, when tempted to plunge into sin, say to yourself, fool, do you not know that you are carrying God around in you? Imagine if you rebuke yourself like that and you say, and you're about to commit a sin, whether it's by imagination or by memory or whatever, say, fool, do you not know that you are carrying God around in you? I wonder if I'm able to reach the stage where I can say with David the prophet that the Lord is before me, he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Imagine if that you are actually physically feeling that the Lord is present with you. He's leading your journey and he's at your right hand. So that way, wherever uh, you are about to commit a wrong, that he's physically there with you, limiting the way you think so that you can transfer the thought and make it the thought of Christ, bringing every thought into the captivity of Christ, as Scripture tells us. May God grant us that we guard our memory and our imagination so that they are not uh, vexed with these sins. Glory be to our God now and forevermore. Amen.
I, sh I should have taken it when, <laughs> when the gun was good. Marianne is reminding me of of, um, of the treatment that we spoke about last week. Remember what, what I said last week? Just do not inhale. <laughs> Just do not inhale. <laughs> Look, th there's one thing about our senses, um, smelling or, or seeing or touching or whatever, and there's something um, that's totally different to allowing that sensation to remain with you. Okay, so even if I do smell... Um, the overpowering kofta or tamiya or whatever it might be that's going on out there, I don't need to, to dwell on that. I don't need to actually, um, you know, concentrate on it. I don't, need, I don't need to actually physically and emotionally and in an imaginary way, you know, make it my obsession. You know what I mean? I could just uh, enter into the praise a bit more deeper and hopefully that will take me away from, you know, these outer sources and so forth. So I think the point here is that don't, don't dwell on them. Don't let them become in your memory and stay in your memory and in your imagination and stay in your imagination. I tell you what, if you, if you come every time and you say, Abuna, I need to confess because I smell kofta, <laughs> Um, your confession father might ask you to have another confession father <laughs> instead. But I'm talking about here that the, the gluttony aspect of it. If you come and say to Abuna, Abuna, I smell kofta, it's different to saying, Abuna, you know, um, I spent the whole mess thinking about the kofta sandwich I'm going to have after the mess. See, there's a, a difference. So. <clears throat> Look, the, the, the Bible says, be angry and do not sin. In other words, the Bible has given us a bit of room to move with him. Okay? But it's saying, do not allow this anger to be transferred into sinfulness by um, you know, judging or hating or despising and so forth of the other person. If you want to avoid that anger being transferred into hatred, then probably it's better to avoid the anger. Isn't that safer? You know what I mean? You know what I'm getting at? If I'm if I know that stage one is going to lead to stage two, well if I can avoid stage one, then it's I'm in a safer position. Okay? But even if even if I do end up being in an angry state, be careful that that doesn't become a, a sin after that. Avoid anger as much as you can because anger I believe that will actually not just it won't hurt the other person, they don't know that you're angry at them, it actually hurts the person who's being angry, and we're the ones that miss out. So again, avoiding something, prevention is better than cure. 
Thank you, Marian. Can I have a quick one again? Sometimes the imagination can be used as a defense mechanism. Mm. What I mean by that is sometimes you play a situation in your head that can actually prevent you from going through with something that, had you not played that situation out, mm. could have ended poorly. Is mm. that a negative thing to be doing? Look, I don't think so, but I, I, I think... Um, you know, it's it's the negative things that can be uh, in our imagination, and we can dwell on them. That's what we're trying to avoid. Um, have you ever seen a little child, if they're reading a story or something like that, you can almost see that they've gone into this imagination phase, and they've zoned out from everything and everyone around them. They're almost in a different world. I think that's actually a beautiful thing. But it, as long as the imagination is about a pure, wholesome, and good things. And I think you're right, that becomes a, a, a defense mechanism that we can use. You know when they say, go to your happy place? It's probably different things for different people. But imagine, imagine if my happy place is a spiritual thing. Imagine if my imagination is focused on heaven and the heavenly life. And I'm actually thinking about who am I going to be meeting there? Who am I going to be talking there? What am I going to be doing? You know, where's my position? Um, what's the throne of God really look like? You know, what are the angels actually doing? This is all imaginary, but to me, that's a healthy, healthy imaginary uh, thing to be dwelling on, rather than to be talking about the negative things that we covered today. So, yeah, defense mechanism by all means. <laughs> Thank you.